in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all your lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. Hi, everybody. Hey, Chad. And uh, guess what? I think it's time for some crossover action, Chad. Oh, sweet. Yes. Uh, we've we've gone and scoured. We've listened to every podcast out there. and yeah, we That was exhausting. It Thank was. Thank you for that homework. Yeah, I know. It took, it took a while. And we found th- the other best podcast out there. There are two? Yes. It's Retro Movie Roundtable and Flashback Flicks. And today, joining us of Flashback Flicks, we have Grayson Howell. Grayson, <laughs> Hello. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having me. I like the branding as the other best podcast. I think we're going to adopt that. Yeah. <laughs> Trademark. We got to get people to know you a little bit because you're new to our fan base, probably. And so we want to break the ice here a little bit. Tell people a little bit about yourself. Where you're from? What do you do? Yeah, so uh, myself and Ricky Anderson, uh, we host a show called Flashback Flicks. Very similar to this in subject matter. I, I think probably the key difference is just the segments. And we had the privilege of having Russell on one of our shows to review Batman and Robin, which was a blast and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we talk about old movies. We recast them. We put on our tinfoil hats and look at headcanon, uh, which is just trying to find all the hidden meanings that probably don't exist, but we can manufacture them um so yeah we've been doing that show for a while Uh, we're in our fifth season right now and uh just having a great time doing it personally i'm we just moved to dc from la so i'm kind of nomadic at the moment but uh i guess the show if anything is based out of dallas which is where ricky is so uh yeah we we like to keep it moving and it's just a fun fun time and when we're not doing that ricky is off shooting which is why i couldn't join today's on a shoot and then uh, i'm an animator so we uh we're just surrounded by multiple forms of entertainment all the time so it's a it's a fun thing to do and I'm not just uh, bringing you guys on the show. I'm a fan of the show. I got to tell people out there, if you uh, haven't listened to Flashback Flicks, it's a good compliment to the show. It's not a rehash. It's not like hearing the same movies discussed over and over again in the same way. Their personalities are really fun to listen to. And uh, like I said, if you like this show, definitely check their show out too. Yes, please. Grayson's up other couple quick questions. What's the last movie you saw? So the last movie I saw was The Lighthouse. Oh, good one. Yeah, I uh, I was able to get that uh, before it got kind of phased out of the theater near me by by the newer attractions. But yeah, Lighthouse with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, uh, directed by Robert Eggers. Uh, it was really, really a fun... I don't know if fun's the right word, but I enjoyed my time. Uh, yeah, it's one of those, because it's like four by three, black and white. You kind of get drawn into the world and... I think there were times where I forgot I was watching a new movie. Like, it's just really well done and uh, very stylized. So, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a trip. Chad had fun on this one, too, right? You know what? I, 
I'm not a fan of The Witch, but this is one that I texted Russell as soon as I had seen it and said, this is a movie you need to see. This is his style. I actually, if I didn't know it was Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, I don't know that I would have recognized him. They just did such a good job of drawing you in. Huh. Yeah, absolutely. Did he have a Green Goblin mask on? Is that why you didn't recognize him? (laughs) He had a a big beard. Okay. A very good monologue. Okay. Yeah. And so... Who's your favorite African-American actor, Grayson? Yeah, for me, uh, I think Samuel L. Jackson is is the classic. I really respect what he does because I watched his, his master class that he has, uh, Samuel L. Jackson on teaching. And he made an excellent point that really just kind of, I don't know, re, reinvigorated my love for his work, which was he, he said he has a craft that requires other people for him to do what he loves to do. He's like, musicians can play music anywhere they want. Painters can paint. He goes, for me, as as a film actor, I need a director, a writer, makeup, costume. I need all those people. So he's like, the chances of that happening are so slim that whenever I'm given the opportunity to do anything, I take it uh, because it's, uh, yeah, it's a group effort. And uh, I just really respected that. It kind of made sense with like his film selection throughout the years too, where you're yeah. like, yeah, just yeah, take what you can get and dive into it. And uh, yeah, I think he's just such intensity. I, I mean, I've grown up with him like surrounding my uh, movie experiences from like Jurassic Park and Incredibles. I mean, he's Mr. Glass. So but, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson for me is like the, the pinnacle. That, I'm so, that makes me so happy you said that, because that's my answer for that to that as well. <laughs> what about you, Chad? I, it's funny. With Samuel L. Jackson, I was just reading, I think he cr- crossed the 120 movie mark, something like that, that he's he's associated with. Um, uh. Yeah, I, I that's such a good pick, but I really like Denzel Washington. Oh, that's a good one, too. So yeah. Just about any of his that aren't soul-crushingly depressing. Like, I, I can't do Philadelphia, but... Okay. <laughs> Glory's great. Uh, training Day's a little rough for me, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's he's, what he got his he, Oscar for. He's great in everything I watch him in. Yeah. Yeah. Those are those are all great picks. What is the first movie that you went on a date and saw, Grayson? Yeah, so I was trying to remember. Uh, first movie I went on a date and saw, I'm pretty sure it was... Uh, Fellowship of the Ring and uh, I think it's that one because I had to re-watch it I was so stressed out the whole time uh, like I had to re-watch it before I saw Two Towers because I was like I don't remember what happened I was I was so nervous uh, yeah I'm pretty sure it was Fellowship of the Ring though. so you know it was a long movie so that was good that's a, that's a fantastic choice there and uh, that that's a I actually don't remember mine, to be honest with you. First movie that I went to the theaters with, saw on a date. Hmm. It probably, I don't know, it might have been Firewall with Harrison Ford. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Chad hates this movie. I like this movie. Maybe it's because I had a good first date. I don't know. So There you go. Um, um, so anyway, uh, first movie date, I, should, I mean, I should say it wasn't the first one. Um, if you worked in a blockbuster, Grayson, and mm-hmm. what movie are you putting on the staff picks rack? Meaning, a movie that most people don't know about, but probably should. Yeah, so uh, that was another interesting one because my selection, uh, let me caveat this, my selection is not inherently good. It is just one, 
It is a pirate's curse that I have felt compelled to share throughout the years, and that is Darkman, uh, which we've reviewed on Flashback Flicks before, but it's, I mean, it's Sam Raimi, pre-Spider-Man, Liam Neeson, and Francis McDormand, and it's like, you have, he, he grows his own skin, he 3D prints his own skin in this movie, and so to have these like Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winning actors in what feels like a, uh, just like a... It's a B-plus movie, I guess. I don't, to have them in this film, it's just a bizarre experience. Like, I, had a, I did a viewing of it at work one time, and people were like, man, this is crazy. But then they had the same effect where they're like, I got to show this to somebody. So, yeah, that, that's my Pirate's Curse movie that I would have to pass on at the Blockbuster. And if you worked at the Blockbuster, would you let Steve from Stranger Things join your Blockbuster or not? Or is oh. he not hardcore enough? No, I'd let him join. I'm, we're very inclusive. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're getting to the point of where our audience is going to need a blockbuster explained to them. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah, Chad, what was a blockbuster? Ah, it was this exciting place next to the video, where you could rent video games and movies, and you went there and just picked out whatever you wanted as long as it was in stock, because stuff went out of stock, and that's how you wind up finding critters and loving critters. What's a video? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was something we had to rewind before we could send it back. You're old. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, you know Blockbuster across from the Circuit City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work there too. So what movie are we doing today, Chad? We are doing Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings? All right. This comes out in 1993. It grosses about $60.7 million. It is going to place it in 10th on the box office that year, so it's a pretty strong finish. It comes in just ahead of the Pelican Brief and behind Last Action Hero. Your number one movie from 1993 was Jurassic Park. IMDb gives Cool Runnings a 7. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it 77% from the critics. And the audience score is an 81%. At the time, it was the highest grossing live action film released under the Walt Disney Pictures banner. So that's another pretty cool title that it has. Grayson, had you seen this movie before? If so, what was your background with it? Yeah, I'd seen this movie several times before, but it's probably been a, really a decade since I've given it a, a real watch. Yeah, I saw this, I guess it was probably a few years after it came out. So I didn't see it in theaters or anything like that. But my, my main memory is that my cool baseball-playing, year-older-than-me friend, Ryan, was like, you gotta see Cool Runnings. And I was like, well, if Ryan suggests it, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I just, um, this was, this was kind of one of those gems from my childhood that when it was on the table to review, because we've been talking about reviewing this one on Flashback Flicks for a long time, and so I'm so glad we get to talk about it here, um, because it really is just like a... I don't know, such a special film from my childhood. Did Ryan have a lucky egg that he kissed? Uh, I think he had like a lucky glove, so it was very similar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chad, Cool Runnings, had you seen it before? If so, what was your uh, history with it? I had. Uh, I, I actually saw this in theaters, so it's one of my earlier movie memories. I was maybe eight or nine at the time. I have not revisited this since, so it it has been... We'll just go with a lot of years. We'll say a lot of years just to be nice. <laughs> uh, but I, I loved it when I was young. I can remember the the trailers and the commercials, particularly uh, Sanka being frozen in that little uh, like ice cream machine and that imagery like that stuck with me. So so, yeah, uh, I was excited to revisit this. I uh, saw this one 
on video when I hit the rental <laughs> store, Blockbuster. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed this one a lot as a kid. I think I watched it more than once on the rental because it was one of those things where, you know, you could enjoy it multiple times. And then I, strangely enough, remember seeing this one in school on VHS. I don't know what the educational benefit of it is, but, you know, <laughs> you know, school system, uh, public school system, yay. We were in very different classes. <laughs> um, Russell's watching Cool Runnings. I'm getting homework. It, it was it was an important moment in history, I guess, you know? So, uh, sure. I, I, maybe it was, let's call it history class that we watched this. I don't know. I hope not. I As don't know. I hope not. I literally don't know why we watched it. I feel like it was watched more than once. And I know I watched it on a ski club bus as well in junior high later. So, again, school-related. And then I don't think I'd seen it uh, for a while after that. So it's definitely been over 10 years for me as well. And it's funny how much of this movie just came back to me right away. I felt like it hadn't been away from it that long. Oh, yeah. I had an amazing retention for this movie for some reason, so it's not like rolling the floor funny, but on the other hand, it's pretty pleasant. So it's just a generally good time. I was excited to come back to it as well, and I enjoyed it this time around. Uh, did, did, Ricky did it, uh, sorry, um, ah, man, Grayson, did it hold sorry, up that's for been happening for 15 years, <laughs> but don't worry. Yeah, it definitely held up. I was concerned going into it, since it had been so long since I'd seen it, that this would be like a childhood-ruining experience. Especially, I, I couldn't remember kind of how the, the cultural implications of everything would hold up, like how, how that would be treated and, and viewed in, in 2019 versus when it came out. But I feel like it, it held up. And just the, the humor of it, I definitely got a lot more out of it this time. Uh, especially the ending, like the more emotional aspects of it, I think uh, kind of held up for me. And like you're saying, it's not consistently laugh out loud funny, I, but it is, I think it had such a layer of nostalgia for me where I was like, oh yeah, oh man, I remember that. So yeah, it, it was definitely a, a fun experience rewatching it. I think the only thing that's really changed is I'm less inclined to do the accent than I was in middle school. Um, so that's probably a, a good thing. I've grown. You dead, man? <laughs> no, man. There you go. No, Thank yeah. you. Gotta, so, somebody's got to finish that. I mean. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the one leave it there. In about yeah, no. one. It's the line. <laughs> it's the line. We might say that again later, too. Um, yeah. But we are going to have spoilers that, that lie ahead because we're going to talk about this movie in depth. So if you haven't seen Cool Runnings, go see Cool Runnings. Grayson's friend... Uh, said it's an awesome movie, and uh, he's right. So uh, we'll be back to talk more about it after these messages. Oh, no. Dr. Boredom is looking to take over the whole city with his plan to make people listen to a continuous loop of his dissertation on why Lent forms in the naval area and the typologies of Lent that form there. But wait, look overhead. Soaring through the air on his way to save us all from Dr. Boredom, it is the retro movie round table man. He came to Earth when his space shuttle from Planet Awesome was abruptly rerouted by a meteor. Now he fights to save us all, good earthlings from the dullness and lameness of the mundane life. With his powers to suggest great films, offer interesting movie insights, and a general love of movies, the Retro Movie Roundtable Man always saves the day. To summon the Retro Movie Roundtable Man, simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever your podcasts come from. Then subscribe to the show. Make sure to give the Retro Movie Roundtable a five-star rating and review, and make his powers even stronger. Like the show on Facebook? Email the team at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Hooray! Retro Movie Roundtable Man has saved us all and restored interest and love for movies to the whole city. Thanks, Retro Movie Roundtable Man! All right, we're back, and as this is your final warning, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. 
Grayson, for those who haven't seen Cool Running since 1993, like Chad, refresh us on what happens in it. All right. Well, I take this responsibility very seriously, so let's get into it. So Cool Runnings, we open on the Jamaican countryside as our main character, a local school teacher, Doris Bannock, uh, sets up for a run, uh, which it's like this makeshift Olympic track. Doris, he bursts through this toilet paper finish line held by local school children, keeps running, um, and he interacts with all these town people. We see that he's very loved around Kingston, and then uh, we get a Chiron, November uh, 1987. So this is set in the past. Uh, meanwhile, Sanka Coffee, played by Dougie Doug, is prepared for a pushcar derby race, and he has this chant that he does, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up, it's pushcart time, and the race kind of goes off the rails, and Sanka's cart is pushed off the tracks and crashes, and so we learn that Dries has these Olympic aspirations, and uh, he's talking to his wife, uh, saying like he wants to be in, in this track team, and uh, she tells him, like, I don't he tells her, like, I don't care how much they want it, I want it more. Um, and so we see this drive from Doris. And so at the qualifying round, the big moment is that they uh, Doris meets the, his fellow competitors. Uh, one of them is a fanboy named Junior. And he also meets this strong, silent, appropriately named Yule Brenner. And so the, the race begins, and Doris and uh, Yule are neck and neck for the lead uh, until Junior loses his footing, trips them up, and the three runners go to the ground, and their Olympic dreams are dashed. Doris tries to contest the outcome of the race, and he's told that if he wants to go to the Olympics, he has to take part in boxing or cycling, since those are really the only uh, Jamaican Olympic teams where they participate. So Doris, we see a picture of his Olympian father, so there's a legacy there uh, on the wall, and he's with a young Irving Blitzer, and Doris learns that Blitzer had this theory that was kind of mocked and rejected, that Jamaican track runners would be perfect for pushing bobsleds. And so Doris uh, latches onto this, really thinks this could work, enlists the help of Sanka uh, because of his pushcart experience and translating that to bobsleds. Sanka's like, no way, there's too much ice, but ultimately friendship prevails. And so they start to assemble this team and they track down Blitzer, better known as Irv, played by John Candy. They track him down and try to convince him, like, hey, let's get the bobsled team together. And so when Doris and Sanka approach him, Irv is very hostile and there's a lot of convincing to be done. But ultimately, they say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get everyone in the town together. No one wants to be a part of this except for uh, Yule and Junior, who have had you know, their same dreams crashed. So uh, they have no money, though, so they try a, a series of schemes to try to raise money with kissing booths and arm wrestling. But Junior sells his car, pay for the trip. So they're all set up. They go to Calgary. And so we learn a little bit more about Irv's past and that he's kind of an outsider in the Olympic circles now, which is really important. Really, the only friend he has is this guy, Roger, who agrees to sell him this sled that was used as a practice sled for the U.S. team. And so they have this kind of rundown sled. And so we get a lot of like montages and get, getting the, the group together. But later that night, Doris is watching the Swiss Bob sled team practice and he just like idolizes them. He's like, he wants their grace, their speed, the coordination, inspired by what his team could be. So he models his whole approach after that team. 
Um, but the true impact of this fish out of water story uh, doesn't really kick in until the team is kind of met with the derision of all the other teams when they show up and there's this kind of like record scratch moment when they're like them. So Junior points out that no one seems to like him and, and Yule, Yule assesses correctly that people are always afraid of what's different. So they stick out. They don't have the best equipment. Their first run is really unsuccessful. They crash about halfway through the run. And then there's a lot of infighting and, and kind of cutting each other down. But it's really Junior who kind of course corrects everyone and be like, hey, we have to work hard together. And this is for the benefit, not just of us, but all Jamaicans. Uh, and we're doing something big here. So team is back on the right track. But the next morning when they attempt their, their first first cart run, it's uh, another failure. And it's posted in the paper uh, to the embarrassment of the Jamaican Olympic commissioner. Uh, Junior's father finds out that he's not actually in Miami on business like he thought he was. And so Doris learns a little more about Irv and his fall from grace from the 72 Olympics, that he had his medals stripped for cheating. Junior's father demands that he comes back home and uh, Junior debates what his next move's going to be. And they get into this fist fight at a, uh, this Western theme line dancing bar. And uh, Yosef Gruel, excellent villain name, he is a rival from Bobsled Team. And he's saying, like, you don't belong here. This fight breaks out and all that. So they, they pull themselves back together. Irv and Doris are very upset by what's happened. Another montage. And uh, they redouble their efforts. Cards are stacked against them going into these rounds. They're changing judges to, to be people that uh, Irv has, has beef with from the past. But they qualify and they like redo their sled and they say, no, we're cool runnings, which means peace be the journey. So um, the celebration's cut short, though, whenever there's, they're disqualified on a technicality. That's really just there to cut down Irv. Uh, and so Irv storms into the Olympic Alliance and begs them not to punish the team, a team that represents what the Olympics are all about just because they're trying to get back at Irv and his past mistakes. The committee agrees. They reinstate the team. So they arrive at the Olympic Village, but Junior's father demands he comes home. Junior stands up to his dad for like the first time in his life and earns Yule's respect. And so they're getting on the right track. And the, the next morning, their first run, it's, it's really shaky. It's not good. They get last place, and the press coverage is brutal on it. So it's embarrassing. And they come to this realization that they have to stop trying to be like every other team if they're going to compete with honor. Uh, they have to be authentically Jamaican. They return for the second day with these renewed spirits. Senka starts the, the run with a, a new take on his signature chant, uh, turning it into feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up, it's bobsled time. And um, they even outperform the Swiss at the start of the run. So, and uh, the night before the final race, Doris asks Irv why he cheated all those years ago. And there's this moment where Irv admits that his whole life became about winning. And he tells Doris, you know, a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. It's like a real Tony Stark Spider-Man moment. So Doris asks him like, wh when he'll know if he's enough. And Irv tells him, when you cross that finish line, you'll know. So next day, uh, they're all decked out in the, the Team Jamaica swag. Like, the commentators even are wearing these, these Team Jamaica shirts. You can feel the support for it. 
But as they're they're going down the one of the turns, a, a a blade comes off of one of the runners comes off of the um, the bobsled. It literally comes to a screeching halt, and so the crowd is silent. Nobody moves, and from the back, that's Senka asks Doris, "Like, you dead yet?" And Doris says, "No, man, I'm not dead. Uh, I have to finish the race." And so as the rescue team runs towards the accident, they split to reveal that Doris, Yule Jr., and Sanka have flipped the bobsled back up and are now carrying the sled on their shoulders towards the finish line. And as they do that, Yosef and Roger, they lead the crowd, cheering them on. And uh, even Junior's father is wearing a Team Jamaica shirt. It's a really nice moment. And the team crosses the finish line to thunderous applause. Yule hugs Junior. Sanka kisses his unbroken lucky egg and Irv thanks Doris for showing him that you know, finishing with honor is more important than winning. And Yosef uh, tells them that they did good and he'll see them in four years. And so we end with a team photo of all of them together hanging on the wall of the Jamaican Olympic office. It's located directly above the old photo of Irv and Doris's father continuing the legacy. Text tells us that the Jamaican bobsled team would then return to the Olympics four years later. Sounds great and well done. I have to ask, we need a prequel, don't we, for Sanka's push car journey to the top. <laughs> if he's the greatest push car driver in all of Jamaica, I want that movie now. What do you say, Chad? I think so. I and mean, he's just training little kids at the time, maybe young Sanka. I don't know. Maybe it's like Jedi's. Maybe push cars are important. You can't start training once you're past a certain age. <laughs> so the movie is uh, based on a true story. Chad, did you happen to look up anything about the original Jamaican bobsled team? Yes, I did. Yeah, I mean, this movie took liberties with the story to say... Oh, really? <laughs> to say the very least. You know, there was a Jamaican bobsled team at the 1988 uh, Calgary Winter Olympic. Olympics. Check. They, okay, great. That That's accurate. Yeah, yeah. That, that is accurate. They did try to recruit Olympic sprinters, but uh, didn't succeed at all. So they wound okay, up... Okay, that's different. Yeah, they wound up getting people from the Air Force, and they were... My work environment would be... Uh, we refer to it as being voluntold. So, <laughs> oh. so, so a lot of these Air Force members were voluntold. Hey, you're going to be doing this. They were suggested, like... Uh, I was one of the things I saw. There was a guy named Bob Stokes who wanted to become a helicopter pilot. Yeah. And uh, they said, uh, would you like to be a bobsled driver instead? And he's like, well, I guess I get to drive it. So uh, what's a bobsled? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they, they had a two-man team. They had a four-man team. None of these names are their actual names. Yule, yeah. Yule Brenner is clearly Ten Commandments, uh, Ramses. Yeah. That's a... Well, yeah. Uh, there was no cheating scandal. Yeah. They, they were really well okay, so loved. Different. Okay, that's different. Uh, they did actually beat the Swiss for that trial run, but they uh, they did not carry the triumphant bobsled in the end. They just pushed it like everybody else that doesn't finish. Okay, so it's more inspired than based on, but, uh, <laughs> yes, you know. This is uh, Disney magic. Okay. Grayson, does it matter, mm-hmm. or is this still fun anyway? I think it's still fun. I With these kind of things, I take the Aaron Sorkin approach where the story supersedes historical accuracy. And so I, I uh, am on board with the liberties that were taken to tell this story. What's fascinating is uh, Eddie the Eagle was actually in this Olympics games too. So we got two movies, two, two sports movies out of this. I personally take Cool Runnings over Eddie the Eagle, personally. Oh, I love Eddie the Eagle. Okay. Grayson, break this tie. 
I mean, I haven't seen Eddie the Eagle, so I have to choose Cool Runnings. All right, we win. Cool Runnings wins. <laughs> um, <laughs> Unlike in this movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, and you're right. And the Bobsled team actually had funding, too, so they didn't have to set up fun kissing booths and, uh, you know, uh, arm wrestle either way into the Olympics necessarily. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's okay. But it, it, it's really neat when you hear the real guys talking in interviews. Like, they're, the, the, the real story was pretty wild themselves. And getting over there, they did not actually have a sled. That part was real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, but to what Chad was saying, not everybody was a total douche to them once they got over there. So people, yeah, people were like... Yeah, was really nice and encouraging. They gave them parts and stuff like that to help them build their sled once they got there. So, uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, so uh, there was more of a communal aspect. People understood that they were outsiders and they didn't have much of a chance. So, But not everybody was like, you don't belong here, Jamaica. There were actually a couple other Caribbean teams that were there so. as well. Um but anyway, it makes a good movie to do it this way. I mean, Grayson, isn't it kind of interesting how we have four different characters and they all get developed into their own little... Everybody's kind of got their own little storyline within this. They really do. Everyone's got a got an arc to it. And uh, I'd say there's like equal treatment to the arc, too. It's pretty interesting. When I was doing the, the synopsis, the plot breakdown... I was like, wow, it really, like even Irv, uh, I mean, he's solidly in the B story, but has his own arc and, and growth. So yeah, it's well balanced, just like a good sled. <laughs> uh, I, I thought Candy had first billing in this in my mind for some reason, name recognition and everything else, but not the case. Uh, Chad, talking about billing, you want to give us a quick cast rundown? Absolutely. As Russell referenced, our, our first build is Leon. Just Leon, kind of like Prince. He plays Doris Bannock, who was a Jamaican sprinter with dreams of competing in the Olympics. He just won't take no for an answer. There's Dougie Doug. I love that name. Yes. Uh, That's Sanka Coffee, which is a little on the nose because there's literally coffee named Sanka. Uh, But he's the talented but kind of dim push cart driver. He's the comic relief in this movie. There's Raul Lewis who plays Junior Bevel. He's kind of the bookish sprinter fanboy uh, whose father is pushing him to escape island life. Uh, there's Malik Yoba, who plays Yul Brenner, but he's the bobsled team's muscle. And there's John Candy, who is Irving Irv Blitzer. He's a disgraced former Olympian gold medal winner in bobsledding. And he was the one that came up the, with the initial theory in this movie that I could use Jamaican sprinters to help me win another medal. Yeah. Anybody else? I mean, it's amazing how tight the actual important cast is. There are other supporting characters in it, but they don't really equate to much time on the screen. Yeah. I mean, there there are committee members. There are uh, the the evil Swiss guy uh, with the ridiculous villain name. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, I, I think as far as a cast rundown, I like to keep it to really the featured Yes. So John Candy, this is a starring film for him, and it was released before he died of a heart attack, which he died five months later, sadly. Uh, he later appeared in Wagons East and uh, died during the filming of that one. It's kind of weird. They, I remember that movie. They shot it with like a double from a long way away, and yeah. it, it had the cut scenes, and it just, um, what do you do when your star dies and then late in the movie? So, I mean. Um, He's also later in Canadian Bacon. That's true. That's true. But this is the uh, last full run of John Candy that he got to see. So Yeah. Yeah. And um, John Candy was an awesome guy. Grayson, are you a John Candy fan? 
I am. Yeah, he was actually one of the few names that I knew when I saw this as a kid. I knew John Candy and I knew Dougie Doug because Dougie Doug, I think, had been in Cosby. Uh, yeah. Yep. Which, oh, which no. if, if we're allowed to say that on this part, the word Cosby, is that okay? No, yeah, uh, it's a TV okay, show. Good, good. There were tons of okay. people involved with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not just him. It didn't ruin it for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I recognized those two, but I didn't know anyone else in the cast. So yeah, John Candy really was like a, a big draw for it as well. Because I knew him from Home Alone and like Planes, Trains, Automobiles. Um, but yeah, man's a legend. Absolute legend. Yeah. Larger than life. Yeah, I, I loved Uncle Buck. Canadian mm-hmm. bacon is one of my favorite go-to. Oh, stripes is another one. Yeah, yeah. Candy came up through the Second City scene, which I love Saturday Night Live. So it's interesting to see that he crossed paths with like Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner in the beginning, and was part of the SCTV cast early going. And so uh, it was neat to see that he kind of got his career from a similar route to them, even though he didn't necessarily come from the Saturday Night Live tree. It's a, it's a, it's a nearby tree. Yeah, and he pretty much begged for this role like they wanted uh kurt russell and no, no. <laughs> no. i know it it wouldn't have looked as dramatic when they're making reference of oh man i've really let myself go and all that but yeah i can't, can't. he might look at the picture, man i really look good yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. John, john candy is just uh he said i'll take a pay cut whatever you need i just i want this role and i thought that was really cool mm. That's interesting because they didn't get a lot of the other people they wanted. They, they tried to get Denzel Washington for the role of Doris and yeah. Eddie Murphy turned down the role of Sanka. So they, they, they had high hopes. And those were due to pay, too. They looked at the pay and they were like, no. <laughs> Wesley Snipes as Yul Brenner, Marlon Wayans as Junior. I, I do not. I don't like these. Do you, well, if Junior were also a martial artist expert, that would be very helpful. <laughs> uh, uh, what about you, um, Grayson? Would you want to see this? This star-studded Kurt Russell, Denzel Washington, Eddie Murphy movie? I don't think so. No, I think part of the charm is that they did have relative no-names in prominent roles. Um, and so to me, like, these were the characters. It wasn't that kind of, you know, behind-the-veil feel of, oh, I'm watching Denzel Washington in a bobsled. This is weird. So... <laughs> Uh, I think it just it helped me buy into the reality of film, not knowing a lot of the actors. I agree. It, in the way, like that's celebratory of the notion of that these are upstart athletes that came mm. seemingly from nowhere yeah. that shouldn't be in the Olympics. Why not get some fresher faces in there too? It, it kind of adds to the. Uh, it reinforces that notion that, hey, from out of nowhere, there's this story. Yeah. I also saw Cuban Gooding Jr. and Jeffrey Wright and Eric LaSalle were also considerations for Jamaican bobsledders as well. So, I think oh, I would have liked Jeffrey Wright, especially at the time, yeah, before he was really like as prominent as he is now. That's interesting. I think Cuba probably could have done Jr. Oh, okay. I was thinking, okay, I, I, okay, yeah, sure. I was thinking he could be a Doris, but uh, okay, yeah, I, I really the Doris role was kind of that is Leon to me, so I just can't picture that. I saw, and I'm, I honestly did take this from somewhere, but I saw where someone said, if these are the Ninja Turtles, there actually is a pretty close correlation to each of them. <laughs> uh, you've got Leon as Leonardo. You've got, uh, you've got Sanka as definitely your Michelangelo. Yule is definitely your moody uh, one. So he's Raphael, yeah, yeah. Uh, who challenges the, uh, the whole team dynamic. And then, you know, Donatello would be a junior who's uh, kind of the let's make it happen kind of uh, guy. I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So do we need a Ninja Turtles bobsledding team movie? 
what's the point? They'd slide on their shell. Or did Michael Barry give this to us oh, as yeah. the van slid down the hill? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just... Yeah, I think I think we got it. We're we're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as the direction goes, Grayson, John Turlotaub, what do you think about his job here? Yeah, I think it's really nice where uh, it's it's pretty straightforward directing for the most part. Like even the 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 compositions and everything. Like it's not it, it's not drawing attention to it, which is nice. I think the story is the real star of this, and that kind of just sets it up so that the the performances can be highlighted. I think the construction's really tight. Like we were talking about the the balance in the character development. So overall, I think he did a really nice job. And I think the team that he pulled together was uh, w- was definitely the right team to get it done. Because I know that he also, he did three ninjas right after this. I love that yeah. movie at the time. Uh, or right before it, I guess. He did it right before this. Yeah, three ninjas was also like right in my strike zone. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on board with this style. There's something about these ensemble pieces that he puts together that I buy into. So, I, yeah. I can never revisit that movie. Have you guys done Three Ninjas? We have not, no. Man, I, I, I'm a little bit curious. I'm, I'm afraid as well to return to it. I, I wonder if it's actually okay. I want to keep that in my childhood. But the, this is going to be the How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days podcast where you kept saying 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's true go check out that one if you like russell messing things up that's uh, true uh, that was a horrible short listing um uh, th- that that had me tongue twisted the whole time uh national treasure is another one that john turtletob does later uh I, i'm not as big on this one as other people so and the sorcerer's it. apprentice is another one and he later Nick cage he, he later goes on to muse he later goes on and does the Meg as well. So I, I'm not sure that I am a turtle top guy. <laughs> I, I love, like his I like his name. I love all these movies. Do you? Okay. Well, then I mean, uh, like I said, Three Ninjas is the other one that's really standing off on this list. Uh, that that's. Uh, oh, you know what? He did Instinct. I have not seen that. That's got Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. in it. I actually like that movie. But that is like a sore thumb for the rest of his like, because that's a dramatic kind of role and. Everything else in here is very directed at like kids and family, and I would say that I liked him here because this is the kind of thing that uh, Disney can sometimes lay it on thick, so to speak, and you can venture into Disney Channel, so to speak, and and it would get in a bad direction. But he keeps it he keeps it pushed in the this is fun for everybody kind of area enough. It doesn't just get turned into a dumb kids movie. Speaking of which, why was this not on Disney Plus? Like it's coming it in. will be in 2020, yeah. but they they have a current uh, like licensing agreement with Cinemax, I believe, uh, which does not seem like the brand that would have uh, <laughs> Cool Runnings. I would, yeah, I did not know that. So yeah, yeah. So uh, president of TriStar Pictures bought the rights to the Jamaican bobsledder story in '89. I'm not sure why you have to buy the rights when you change so many things, but they did. And they shifted from TriStar to Columbian Pictures, and the producer, Don Steele, got involved. Mitchell Ritchie, uh, who received the story credit, was originally interested in producing the film with Fran uh, Rubel Kazai as the director, but after leaving Columbia, Don Steele managed to convince Walt Disney to greenlight the picture and rewritten the budgeted shorthand and uh, replaced Kazai with another director, who was Turtle Tob. So it's interesting, this movie took a little while to get made. It changed a lot of hands, and I got to wonder if the story was more straightforward originally and they got here and just rewrote everything. So I'm wondering if that's where this happened. Yeah, it, mm. it was a drama. Uh, there was only one original line that was kept from the script. 
and it's your dead man. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That that's literally the one line that was from their original script. Oh, okay. So wow. everything else was far more serious. I was being I was kidding when I suggested that that might be it. So no, no that would not be the line I'd pick uh, from the original, but that's the one that survived. Absolutely. It's an interesting evolution then. So then it was adapted from, or inspired by true events, then adapted the dramatization of that to a comedy that we have now. So it's like two degrees of separation from the starting point. Think about what other movie that could have ever been like that if you just bought like a dramatic movie and it's just like, it's like, hmm, the piano. I think this could be a fun family flick. <laughs> um so uh, so this movie uh, took around two months to shoot, and they did it in February. They did this in, actually on-site in Jamaica, as well as in Calgary. So they went to their actual locations, and that's pretty cool. What did you think about the look of the movie, Grayson? Like, aesthetically, did you like the shots while they were bobsledding? Yeah, I, I thought the bobsled sequences were particularly well done. Um, I know that the cinematographer... Uh, Feeding Papa Michael. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, I mean, he's an award-winning cinematographer. He's won for Nebraska, Walk the Line, Ford v Ferrari. Like he's been involved with all those. I mean, obviously he didn't win for Ford v Ferrari because it just came out. But you know, he's like a respected cinematographer, and I think that is some of the balance of this movie is that they could get the look of the uh, the exciting aspects of bobsledding while also balancing the comedy and so yeah while a lot of it is kind of you know shot mid to wide just to let comedy play out the the balancing that with the tight close-ups and the the quick cuts to bruce green the editor's credit i think they they work well together so yeah that i think that's just all part of that that team that kind of made the vision of this payoff i'm with you i think the end is actually pretty exciting i like once they actually got bobsledding, I kind of was like, man, I could use a little more of this. This is fun. Yeah. Yeah, those were great shots. It really did kind of remind you of the sweeping shots of the Olympics and just the grandeur of it all. I, I think I just like movies that have, like, either a bobsled or illusion. And I don't know, my, my, like, a, uh, Honor Majesty. limited scope here. I guess, because I was going to say, the, the only one that jumps out to me is Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which has a dramatic, uh, fun <laughs> luge scene there as well. And so I think I need more movies with bobsleds and luges. Fair enough. We don't have enough of them. Yeah, I think there's something inherently exciting about them, because it's like humans versus gravity. Like, it's a real man versus nature story a lot of the time. I mean, it just makes me think of, like, what Seinfeld said about bobsledding, where it's really the only sport where you could do it involuntarily and it would look the same. (laughs) Um, I always get frustrated because, like, every Winter Olympics comes on, I I enjoy bobsledding, and I actually kind of want to watch it, perhaps because of Cool Runnings, but I always miss it. Like, it's never a featured sport. It's always one of those things where it's like, and more figure skating tonight. I'm like... Like, can we mix it up a little bit, guys? Yeah. Like, why is eight o'clock every night figure skating? My wife is gonna write in. She loves figure skating. It just has so many different events. I don't know. It's just I'm the same way in the Summer Olympics. You know, like too much swimming. Like, I I, I get it. Michael Phelps is awesome, but like, uh, and retired. There's a lot of there's a lot of events out there. You know, show me some other stuff. So show me more curling. Yeah, maybe they need more variations on bobsledding, like the no hand bobsledding right they just put their hands up like they're on a roller coaster and (laughs) And, see who does that the fastest and i'm constantly mad at the summer olympics because there's just a ton of events they gotta let in i mean how how is skateboarding and not in there yet i mean 
take half of those X Games things. Extend the extend the Olympics to a third week. Ping pong, ping pong's in. It's in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the Olympics is a little snobby with the sports they let in. I say you build all that huge Olympic village, may as well use it. So, uh, go, then, go bigger and then never use it again. Ever, I know. Let's talk about the uh, storytelling here. I liked that. I didn't remember this movie as a kid. I thought it was more silly, haha, funny. But one of the things I really liked coming back to it as an adult was, I actually liked the nature of the teammates coming together. As it's all like Yule being this tough guy who wanted to be out of there. And uh, he gave Junior a hard time, but then Junior kind of stuck up for him because he was, you know, being laughed at for, like, I want to follow my dream and I want to get out of here and do great big things. And, you know, uh, Sanka laughs at him and Junior says, you can do anything you set your mind to. My dad had nothing and he started a big company up and I believe in you. And it was one of those turning points of the moment where I somehow underplayed how the feels were in this movie necessarily. And similarly, you see the friendship between, you know, Sanka and Doris, like, being roped into this whole thing and stuff like that. I guess I forgot the warmth of the characters in this, and I think that's one of the best things Turtle Top does is it, it, it's a feel-good movie. It, it, it uh, It's pretty uplifting throughout. Grayson, did you like the storytelling? It's kind of divided into three acts, like build the team, get there, find everybody hates you, and then compete. I did, yeah, because I, I do feel like it is a... Uh... Even within those acts, the plus and minuses are pretty well stacked where you you get like a micro victory and then a defeat. And then uh, like, great, we like we painted our sled. Oh, now we're disqualified. Like it balances out the wins and losses pretty well uh, to keep the action moving forward. I, I don't think I appreciated when I first watched it, just how heartfelt the storytelling is. Like you're like you're saying, like they have a warmth for each other. And I guess when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, why wouldn't you just like everybody? You know, it's, but having like that outside, you know, the world perspective of how easy it would have been for them to be written off. Fortunately, that wasn't the actual, uh, of like case when they, when they went there, but for this movie, uh, for them to kind of be ostracized. Yeah. I, I think it sets up a big enough conflict for them to, have to solve some real problems and uh, it keeps the movie moving forward now we did talk about how the once they got there in real life it wasn't necessarily all villains greeting them very poorly but did you like the villainous role of the swiss team uh you know kind of heavy-handed in a very disney movie style of just like we're all bad guys (laughs) um did you like this chad I feel like they were begging for East Germany, but they just couldn't because it wouldn't have made any sense in this movie. Like, the Swiss were the actual good team, so they became the bad guys. I guess. But uh, it's one of those things where it seems really cardboard and flimsy, but in a way, they it's, I guess you could say it's like so um, stereotyped that it's actually kind of funny in a way. And they're actually speaking in German. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it uh, are the Philins. They're the Hans Gruber of this movie. I, I was really looking forward to that bar fight scene that I remembered was in there because I, I, as I was watching this, I was like, man, I really do hate this guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, it just takes you back there. I mean, uh, m- movie bully wise, I hadn't considered him to be in in the running for best movie bullies, but uh, maybe he deserves to be lower in the countdown, but still in there. Joseph Gruel. Yeah. <laughs> what what I appreciate. The decision to not have them sabotage the sled, I think, is good. 
because I feel like uh, a lesser movie would have been like, oh yeah, then like the Swiss team for some reason sabotages the the Jamaica sled to make sure they don't succeed. And that probably would have given them more like a Cobra Kai or I don't know, Sebulba feel to it. Yeah. Uh, But uh, just to be like, no, it still, it was because they had this practice sled that it fell apart, like through no fault of anybody except it just happened that they're able to have this mutual respect at the end. Um, So yeah, I thought that was a strong, if you're fictionalizing real events as it is, at least they didn't go that far and say like, oh yeah, the Swiss kind of sabotaged their equipment so no and i mean it, it, the, by the way that wreck i remember watching as a kid being like oh no like like they wrecked how could like this isn't what a movie's like <laughs> this is a sad finish but uh in a way it's kind of uh one of those strangely victorious moments as they get out of there they're okay and they lift the bobsled up and they carry it across the line which in real life that's a pretty heavy thing and they didn't really do it they, they, they just shoved it across the uh yeah. the ice but people did clap for them they, and they did use the real footage of the crash too. I thought that was a a unique thing to do is kind of splice that in and one of the mm. I think the driver he said you never forget the smell of your visor being burned up on the track. Oh man, that Whoa. It, it, Yeah, I mean if you look at it like th- those clips uh th- their necks are like bent yeah. hard mm. and it does look really scary. Yeah, it which, was 80 plus miles per hour. Yeah. I mean um. It's uh, it's intense, and a lot of the coverage, as you pointed out, by the uh, reporters and stuff, were actual telecast taken from the time. So, yeah. interesting patchwork. Most movies would choose to re-record stuff. Yeah, I think it kind of gives it almost like a, like a Molly's game feel, where I believe they used the actual footage of her wreck. I mean, another Olympic uh, Olympic sport biopic, but yeah, it, it does add a certain level of I don't know, maybe it's authenticity to it. Because it's, yeah, like you're saying, the wreck was really vicious and pretty startling. And I feel like even trying to recreate that, there would have been a level of like movie magic to it that just doesn't have that same kind of <gasps> factor. So Molly's Game is kind of like the foil to Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings feels good the whole time. And Molly's Game is just like, <laughs> man, this isn't going to go well for you. That's yeah. not a good decision. Oh, no. Now this is getting really bad. Oh, you're in over your head now. This is yeah. just all sad. Although if you want to... Winter Olympics uh, feel good story miracle miracle podcast with Kurt Russell yes he got there you he, go. yeah there you go he got he his, got in he got it with his tweed jacket yeah. in in his <laughs> 80s remake movie 70s oh yeah that's right oh one thing I thought in the editing that kind of struck me as a bad style move because most of it I did like I thought it was edited pretty well I didn't think we had any big lulls and stuff like that they do a lot of scenes that are of like sound like dubbing over like what they're mm. saying in the push car practice car or what they're saying in the bobsled, like where like Sonic is like, ah, I'm scared. I hate you. It's too much ice. Ah. And that was one of those moments that I don't think that has aged well because there's no background noise and you hear this one isolated track of Sanka, you know, and it feels below the level of production of the rest of this movie. Mm. Yeah. I mean, those moments aren't for people in their 30s. Those are those were movie moments for the eight, nine-year-old me who thought that was hilarious, and it was great. 
I still think you can do it, but you just need to put some background noise in it. Like, this is a sound guy in Hollywood's job to, like, find an ice shaving sound or whatever, like, on the track. And then, like, have some other guys making some, like, noise with them. And, like, there's got to be some rattling. So it's not, like, dead quiet. with just It sounds like Dougie Doug is in a sound booth making these sounds alone. (laughs) And it's more of a, it's just a, there's a balance to it so you don't get pulled out as much. And you're right. Maybe they just thought, like, oh, the eight-year-olds will eat it up, and they just called it a day. But... And they were right. <laughs> yeah. yeah on, the, on the sound editing, I did read that there is the sound of a TIE fighter yes. during one of the one of the runs. When is this? I... And I need to go back and it, see it. During the Swiss yeah. run, when he's uh, when Doris is watching them on videotape towards the end, because I, I had to rewind it, and I was like, did I just Yep, that was a TIE fighter for no good reason other than, I guess, well, Disney, but... Chad's like, why am I smiling? I had a physical reaction to that sound. Rewind. Yeah, Yeah, that is my dog whistle. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's the Pavlovian response of, like, excitement and I guess they're the bad guys. Uh, I'm salivating. (laughs) Why do I like them more now? (laughs) Oh, man. What do you think about the wardrobe in this movie, Grayson? Yeah, so I, I think the wardrobe... I mean, I've never been to Jamaica, but the way that they contrast the the uniform or what they wear before they get the uniforms and then kind of how they incorporate some of the more cultural aspects of the Jamaican dress, I think was a nice move. I mean, it feels like a good character choice. I mean, John Candy's wearing the John Candy uniform for most of his <laughs> films. So uh, no qualms there. He's got like the zip up jacket, I guess. A big zip up jacket. But yeah. A really big zip-up jacket. But yeah, I feel like for the most part, the the costuming was reflective of uh, the culture that it was meant to represent. And then even with the the Swiss team, everything being like very straight lines, very clean palettes, uh, it I felt like the wardrobe did bring out the some of the characteristics of the individuals, which is ultimately, you know, what you're going for with, with wardrobing. So yeah, I, I had no no qualms with the dress, I suppose. Yeah. Jed, any thoughts from you? Yeah, there was contrast even within the team. Junior dresses nicely, and you could tell Mm. even from first being introduced to him that this guy was going to be the intellectual one of the group. Um, And I I thought the contrast of a lot of them are wearing old shirts or, you know, old tank tops versus Grayson really hit on it. The other countries, there's a shine to them. Their uniforms, their bobsleds. They're not really introduced in T-shirts or anything. It's just the glitz and glam versus kind of the poverty of the Jamaican team. So they're really setting up this us versus them kind of thing and leaning into the underdog story. And that was really there. So like I said, I saw a little documentary, not documentary, but like a info thing that they did during the Olympics that it was uh, that I saw that was recorded previously on some coverage. And they actually went back to the original training facility where the actual guys did this. Man, uh, it was nothing like the tub that they shoved down the hill on the wheels. Like, driving on dirt doesn't do anything to help them, but they did push. <laughs> Basically, sleds on rails. And, man, it is not uh, it is not a glorious facility that they had to train in. And it, it did have that pieced-together feel of it. So that, that ghetto sled that they, that they did get there kind of reflected that, I thought, as well. I just thought it was funny. Yul Brenner is wearing all these bright colors, but he, you can't seem totally tough. When you've got all these bright colors on, I was sitting there going like, I feel like he just needs like a simple white 
you know, A-frame t- undershirt or something like that. Like, yeah. all these colors make him go, it's like, yeah, but he's not that tough. Well, he looked like the inside of a 90s Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, I would I would agree with that. And also, I was disappointed about there were no lucky eggs in the in there. So there was rubber. <laughs> That's right. He still has it, too. Dougie Doug yeah, still has the still egg, has he it. said. Yeah. So, um, soundtrack. I was expecting a lot of pure reggae in this movie when I returned to it. And instead, I had uh, this 80s synth stuff going on that I wasn't digging as much, even though it was, I guess it's early 90s. But um, I yeah. somehow thought there would have been a better soundtrack on this one. Give me more of what uh, Jimmy Cliff, uh, I can see clearly now, like when the credits start to roll. I, I want more stuff like that. That went on to be a top 40 hit in three different countries. Well, with good reason. It was good. It was. The race scenes had some score that were pretty good, but early in the movie when they were in Jamaica, I didn't necessarily like that part of the soundtrack. I, I wanted something different from there. Grayson, am I being too hard yeah. on it? No, no. I, um, I'm i going to go out on a limb and say that maybe Hans Zimmer wasn't able to capture the cultural nuance of the Jamaican music. Um, I Just not in his wheelhouse. Uh, there's a lot of steel drums. I, I heard the steel drums. But yeah, I I think that if we're looking at the cultural aspects, uh, maybe the, the music didn't hold up to like the dress aspects or, or some of the other choices that were made. But yeah, I think the music does add to those heart pounding bobsled runs that we see which is really in the like zimmer uh wheelhouse so yeah maybe maybe could have done like a team up on the score uh and that 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 probably would have been a good choice yeah i feel like his his, like competition stuff was totally Mm -hmm. competent inspiring that's fine but the early stuff i was just kind of going like man this didn't this didn't this isn't what i want here so what about you chad I like calypso music, and that's a lot of what's going on in the background. Uh, steel drums are there, but a lot of it is calypso-inspired. But you're right, I I was expecting some reggae, and I didn't get enough. I wouldn't say that one of the better reggae-ish moments was when they came in, like, Jamaica, we got a bobsled team. Yes. And, yeah. Which, that kind of got in my head. Yes, yes, it sticks with you. Yeah. So, this is a segment we call Look for This, where... We like to find out some parts of the movie that you might not have noticed. And uh, Grayson, did you have any look for this moments? Yeah, so, I mean, as far as fun facts go, this kind of extends beyond just, like, what was in the movie. But I did find out that in Norway, this movie's called Cold Buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wait, is buttocks like a translation no. into something else? No, no, it's not a... It means butt. Yes. All right, cold yeah. butt. Nice. Yep. Cold butts. Cold yeah. butt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh, uh, seems accurate. Yeah. So if I was just perusing Netflix and I was like, cold butt. All right. <laughs> Give me that. Uh, Chad, what uh, about you? But yeah. Yeah. So we covered some of the historical issues here, but uh, it's legal to add weight to sleds. There's a minimum and there's a maximum <laughs> weight. You, you oh. can't be disqualified for adding weight to a sled. That's a normal thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess if you go over the maximum, you're weighed. So. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's John Candy. He's packing on extra weights everywhere he goes. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I just thought that was funny. Like they're trying to make it this big thing, and as a kid, I'm like, yeah, makes sense. But when you really think, oh, some people weigh more than others, and this will make it an issue. Well, as an adult, 
It's like, okay, so they add weights to compensate. Huh, they've thought of that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah so you can't get uh, Japan in a team of sumos. We've talked about all the things that aren't true in this, but one thing that was true is Darius Benok's uh, ben father, uh, Ben Manak. Uh, so that character uh, was a gold medalist in the 200 meters. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah. So the uh, that part was real. I actually was trying to find the answer on this one, and, and this is just a general put it out there. I thought this was interesting. Had we seen Disney make a movie where the four protagonists like this were all African-American at this point in a real action film? Because it feels like huh. this is a progressive movie in that nature. But I didn't. I, I Googled it, and I didn't really come up with anything about it. But I think it's kind of a cool moment for Disney of saying, like, uh, this is going to, we're going to put people of color in a prominent role of this movie. I can't think of too many live action that have this type of cast. So, no, I mean... They have problematic movies with African Americans in the cast, like Song of the South. Uh, but no, 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 not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this much of the cast. Yeah. What about you, Grayson? Anything come to your mind? Yeah, I can't think of anything. Yeah, no. I mean, definitely way before Black Panther and and any of that. But uh, on the Marvel side, but yeah, from from Disney, I can't think of anything that would have would have uh come before cool runnings and to be honest i didn't even i didn't even consider how historic that could have been um so yeah that's that's really interesting yeah and i thought it was just one of those cool things of uh it's like huh this is probably a more progressive movie than i ever thought about so yeah. for, for doing that so good on them for that I, I love that line. They, they directly address it at one point when the Olympic board is... Uh, with John Candy. With John Candy. He's, mm-hmm. like, uh, he's like, we just want to make sure that it's in the best line of the sort. We don't want to be embarrassed by anything that happens out there. And he's like, I'm sorry for black men make you blush. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Big, I, that was, I was like, wow, Disney did that. I don't think they'd do that now. That was, uh, I don't know. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I think they'd do it. You do. I mean, there there was a lot of the racial tension undertones with Black Panther here recently. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a PG like family movie though. That's true, and that's why I was more surprised. Not not just the fact like you know mm-hmm. this is Disney like eight year old Disney. Yeah. So yeah. Although they did have the Di- Disney original movie, The Color of Friendship, which if I remember correctly tackled apartheid in South Africa. So maybe, Oh, that's not fun. Maybe it was part of a, a larger, uh, a larger awareness that they were bringing. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's time to get into my favorite part of the show. Chad, Grayson, you ready to hand out some awards? Oh yeah. Grayson, why don't you give us the honor here? Who's your MVP of cool runnings? So my MVP of cool runnings is Doug E. Doug. This is ultimately a, a family film, and he adds a lot of the, the comedy that uh, I think I had nostalgia for. Uh, like his one-liners just kept coming back to, to me, and I felt like every time he was on screen, it was like tantamount to time travel. I was like, that's right. Oh. So for, for me, this movie, a lot of it is Doug E. Doug. I love it when he stands up to Yule. Like those are my favorite Sanka moments when he he does not back down from that big guy and he just he he always puts him in his place with his words. Yeah. So uh, Chad, who's your MVP? I feel like for any sports movie, the MVP for me is always the coach. So this movie is no different for me. It's John Candy. Particularly, we talked about 
replacing him with Kurt Russell, and it doesn't work. The things where he's looking at his old photos are very effective because John Candy looks like John Candy. But his passion for the movie and getting this part and really just his scenes with the team were very endearing. I think that's a great choice. And there's a lot of actual change in each of these characters. They all transform. Obviously, Yule goes from being a bully to like having friends and Junior gains confidence and I think Therese goes from, I just got to get in the Olympics, to taking his role seriously and taking his sport seriously and becoming a leader of his team. And But John Candy undergoes a greater change of anybody. He is like in the bottom of the barrel. Like when he comes in, he's, he's down the dumps and, you know, he's grumpy. He's really good at that. And then he's like, okay, well, we're going to do this. And you can start, you can see that transition of him. And by the time he's in Calgary, you see him desperately trying to get back in there and kind of confronting his past. And it makes him show the love of the sport come back through that. And it's the warmth in his character that ultimately makes me pick John Candy as well. Yeah, I, I love him trying to get them to quit by showing the montage of horrific crashes. And everyone just clears out except Sanka. Your bones don't break. They shatter. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, Grayson, best supporting. Yeah. So for best supporting, I had John Candy, um, just because, I mean, he is more prominent than supporting for a lot of this, but I, I think as far as, uh, grounding that B story and well, it's a story of hope for the main four, his primarily being a story of redemption. I think he just compliments the, the main team, uh, really well. Uh, that's a great one. Chad, best supporting actor. Grayson covered it, but Dougie Doug. Sanka's what I remember from being a kid, seeing this movie. I still remember his lines. You mentioned it. His one-liner, stick with me. I love him in the honky-tonk. That is just great. Puts on the lady's cowboy hat. He's kind of hit it off with her. She's got the Rasta kind of look. That was fun. Even just the physical comedy is great. Yeah. And he makes a great entrance into that fight by like jumping on somebody's back from behind. Like, oh, we're fighting now. (laughs) I'm going to go my best supporting actor. Actually, Malik Yolba, the guy who plays Yolba Brenner. I actually, uh, somehow I saw more in this character on this pass through than I had ever before. So I, I really appreciated both Junior and Yule far more this time around before I remembered it being more about, like you said, uh, you know, the leader with Therese and the coach. But this time around, I appreciated the journey that those guys took and the friendship that they ended up building through this as well. So, uh, hidden gym, Ricky. Oh, Grayson. <laughs> yeah. For the hidden gym, uh, kind of the, the underplayed cast member here, I had Bertina McCauley who played Joy Bannock, uh, Darisa's wife, because she really does, especially when when the guys get to Calgary, she represents the Jamaican fan base. And she, she does a lot of heavy lifting character-wise as being that connection back home. She doesn't have a lot of scenes, but I, I think the scenes that she does have, she brings a lot of strong choices. So yeah, she was my uh, hidden gem. Okay, good choice. And Chad, who's your hidden gem? Charles Hyatt. He plays Junior's dad. And even though his arc's a little bit predictable, I love him going from you're coming home, son, you're coming home, to being at the finish line and opening his suit and his his nice shirt and saying, uh, having a Team Jamaica on there. It's like and this a t-shirt. Is, yeah, yeah, this is a corny t-shirt, but I love it. Now, I, that was a that was a feel good moment for sure. Great pick. I'm gonna go with Pauline uh, Stone. Myrie is uh, Mama Coffee. Okay. Yeah, she, she was so much fun. I just mm-hmm. felt like every little piece of 
lines or every little line she had, she made them. She made them all count. I liked it when uh, the TV was uh, was like, "Oh, this is an embarrassment." She better watch his mouth. I was like, "Yes." (laughs) Yeah, Uh, she made it seem more more authentic for me. Yeah, I liked her a lot. I wish she had gotten some more screen time. Grayson, if you had to Mm -hmm. recast somebody, who would you put in their place, and who are you replacing? So as hard as it is to recast Dougie Doug because he is my MVP, I think if they were you know, updating the cast that Kevin Hart would be a good choice for that role. I, I think it's well within his strike zone of the types of characters he plays and would just bring his own flair to it. So, yeah. That's nice. a good choice. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Chad? I've got to take out Russell's man. I, I think I'd replace Malik Yoba. Uh, who, who I've got mm. picked is Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage. I just feel like oh, yeah. he's oh. bigger and more intimidating than oh, yeah. even huge. Malik. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, bullets don't phase him, so I mean, that's yeah. a great choice. And, and he has that warmth, too. Like, he kind of warms up to, to certain characters. So. I actually I think that's a great comparison. So that's, that's a good point. I'm gonna, man, he would look funny in a bobsled. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> Imagine putting that large man with those huge shoulders like into a bobsled. Next to Kevin Hart, no less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, my recast, I'm going to go towards uh, Joseph Gruel, or who's paid by Peter Outbridge. Uh, he's he's good. He's good. Uh, he's a good villain. But I thought Ted McGinley, who was the jerk from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, the blonde guy. Yeah. I, I think that he could step it up and go even more. So uh, uh, Ted McGinley's higher on my 80s uh, bully list. Uh, so I'm going to go with him. I, although, if you made this today, you guys are putting me in the uh, Make It Today thing. I'm thinking Sebastian Stan from uh, his performance from uh, Hot Tub Time Machine is coming back to me as being a good villain for uh, a cold weather uh, uh. movie. So, uh, Best shot of the movie, Grayson. Yeah, for me, uh, my best shot is actually a transition where it crossfades from the palm tree to like the frozen fur in Canada. Because it's been a long time since I saw such a transition that just said, welcome to act two. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was like, oh, nice. Okay, I get it. Chad, best shot of the movie. During the montage, which I'm a little critical of montages, but there's actually a really nice shot of them running in the snow and it's an aerial view with a great shot of the woods in the background. No, no. Yeah, that was a cool bridge they ran across just prior to that, too. That's a nice... Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a beautiful place for shooting. That'll always help a montage go down better. So good good choice on that one. My best shot is going to be... There's a moment when John Candy's early in the movie and Doris puts the picture in his hands and it's an old picture of him and Teresa's father standing there and he goes, well, I haven't seen this picture in ages. Look how young I was back then. And the, the camera's focused solely on the picture with the hands holding it and then he tilts it and the light glare hits it and then you can see John Candy's face now and he goes, look how old I am now. <laughs> and I thought that was a nice lighting slash just one tilt of the picture got that reflection where you could see the old and the present tense in there and his glorious gold medal days to this washed up in a bar day. And I loved that. So Good yep. choice. I do like the first person, all the first person shots of the helmets and the bobsleds are just awesome though. Best scene of the movie, Grayson. Yeah. For me, it's, it's gotta be when they're carrying the bobsled across the, the finish line. I get emotional every time I see that. And uh, this time is no different. So it's just 
ultimately what the whole story is building toward to to finish well is more important than winning and uh yeah just well executed oh it makes your heart feel all warm and gooey like the inside of a hot pocket <laughs> don't bite into it too soon you'll burn your mouth yeah I, that's the obvious one for me too though it's just such a powerful scene and you have all the side characters there to including junior's dad but you have Swiss villains and everyone just showing yeah, even respect. Even Joseph Gruel is giving him yeah. claps. At There's the a classic mm-hmm. slow clap going. So yes, that is a hard slow clap. I might add. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is of the of the slow clap cliche. They really really steered into that one. Yes, they did. I, I, I almost like in a walking. I need more cowbell kind of thing. Like I was like yeah. I can almost see a turtle top being like slower. Yeah, the, the begrudging curmudgeon American clap of just like, well, I guess I have to respect John Candy for losing now. Clap. It's a, it's a terrible movie, but if you ever saw Not Another Teen Movie, I always think about slow claps now. Like, yes, like, like, yes. It's not time yet. No, not yet. Now. Now. Now it's time. Yes. I like that movie. <laughs> um... So my pick for best scene is actually going to be the training scene. I love the scene where they're, like I said, they didn't actually do this in real life, but where they get in the, they're trying to hit five nine, uh, on the starting push time, and yeah. they get in the car, the the break ends, and this is just a fun scene as this ragtag team is getting put together in Jamaica. I like the Jamaica scenes a lot in this, and I love when they hit the car at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> the police the, car, yeah. The police are like, who are you? It's like, we're the Jamaican bobsled team. They're, like, they're laughing at them. And then out of nowhere, John Candy comes up. He's like, who are you? I'm their coach. 5'9". Get it back up to the top of the hill. And like, this was, this is one of the best, like I said, this isn't a movie that makes me laugh hard, but this is probably one of the scenes that put a big, big smile on my face and made me laugh. And um, you guys definitely covered the feels pretty well with your picks. So change one thing and only one thing, Grayson. Mm-hmm. Well, my one thing is a pretty big thing. Uh, I would like to see the Aaron Sorkin take on this story. Really round out that somewhat fictionalized, uh, but also biopic sports trilogy. Moneyball, Molly's Game, and then uh, Cool Runnings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sure. I mean, in fact, you you could have your cake and eat it, too. You can have Cool Runnings. And still have that, too. Yeah, you can still do that. You could have a clever title, like Cold Butt. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm going to go with... uh, I'm sorry, Chad. So I understand why they did this, because you kind of need some additional conflict, but I'm changing the conduct of the other teams. We covered it, but in reality, they were Mm. mostly nice and helpful to the Jamaican team. They even lent equipment and sleds. I genuinely feel bad for the real-life teams when they're depicted as just these snarling racists. And that kind of sucks. It's like, hey, we yeah. we loan these guys a sled. We helped them. We were happy for them. And why are we the racists now? Because we speak German? Yeah, it's funny. Like, when this movie comes out, I wonder if at the Olympics, like, like everybody's, like, throwing, like, cans and, like, corn dogs at them. And it's like, boo! Boo the Swiss team! <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, go back and make some cheese without holes in it. That, that's the image. I was like, the Swiss are jerks. I hate these guys. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, my change one thing, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I just want to see the, the sound dubbing is cool. You can do it, but just do a better job of it. We've, we've, I've covered uh, what you should do to do it better, but, you know, good, good comedy at it. Just do it better. Fair enough. Execution. Yeah. Best quote of the movie, Grayson. 
Yeah, you touched on it earlier, but my favorite quote is from John Candy when he says, always remember, your bones will not break in a bobsled. No, no, they shatter. Um, <laughs> the delivery is great, but I think it also uh, has that whiff of ever-present danger that they're really dealing with and kind of sets the stakes. So it's a nice two-for-one quote. No, that's a... Yeah, yeah, that's a great quote and great delivery on your part. Yeah, I was going to say, man, I just feel like I relived it. Yeah, uh, Chad, best quote of the movie. So this will not be great delivery and probably culturally offensive, but nevertheless, here we go. Enough people say they know they can't believe Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. All right. It just puts nice. a smile on my face. Man, I thought that was really right from the movie. I felt like I really just relived it. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone. Please don't write me letters. <laughs> Mine's going to come from Coach Irv uh, when he says, You see, Sanka, the driver has to work harder than everyone. He's the first to show up, the first to leave. When, he, uh, when his buddies are out drinking beer, he's up in his room studying pictures of turns. You see, the driver must remain focused 100% at all times, not only because he is responsible for knowing every inch of every course that he races, he's also responsible for the lives and the other men in the sled. Now, do you want that responsibility, Sanka? Sanka just like who's been arguing with him was like I'm the driver I'm the driver I'm the driver and he goes I said we make Doris the driver <laughs> yes so do I Sanka so do I I just that that exchange of sarcasm from John Candy was just so great there and I, I did like uh, uh, Grayson mentioned it in his plot summary but the uh, if you don't have a if you're you know if you're if you don't if uh, a gold medal is a wonderful thing but. If you're not enough without one, you'll never be enough with one. Yeah, that was powerful. Yeah. And uh, you're totally right. I didn't realize that uh, Iron Man totally stole uh, Coach Irv's line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming is just the secret remake of Cool Runnings. I've, I've said that for years. Spider-Man, if you didn't have a bobsled before, wait, if you, did, if you weren't good without a bobsled, then you won't be good with a bobsled. What's a bobsled? <laughs> he's probably saying hey there's this really old movie cool runnings yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah probably man iron man would be awesome at the uh, bobsled though i mean he would be like his his push-off would be out of this world until it develops sentience and tries to eliminate all the other bobsled teams <laughs> oh that's true yes good point mm -hmm. uh, age of cool runnings <laughs> <laughs> so this is an exciting part of the show but before we conclude Grayson, tell people again, where can we hear more from you? Yes, you can uh, join me and the real Ricky uh, <laughs> at uh, Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Uh, you can reach out to us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Flashback Flicks. And yeah, I think if you're, if you're a fan of... Uh, the Retro Movie Roundtable, that Flashback Flicks is a good companion piece. Um, and so I just want to say thank you again for bringing me on, guys, because uh, hopefully this is the start of a beautiful friendship. I think so. This has been fun. And I had a lot of fun on their show when I did the Batman and Robin episode. It's the most fun you can have doing that movie. I appreciate you guys <laughs> making him do that movie. <laughs> Chad's always like, we should do more bad movies and trash them. <laughs> I don't want to trash them, but I, I'm still on The Phantom Menace. We're going to do that. I like oh, movies. Yeah. I want. I like to like movies. I don't know if I'm going to spend 90 minutes talking about it. I want to like the movie, so I don't know. Yeah, that that is one of the uh, angles that we have on the podcast. Is we have the uh, um, 
the motto that every movie is a miracle, kind of the Samuel L. Jackson take of like, it, it takes so many people to do this that the odds of it being made at all are astronomical. So we, we put it uh, uh, as a personal challenge to ourselves to take some really rough movies and pan for gold. Uh, yeah, some are more difficult than others. Yeah, Russell, we have done Phantom Menace. Russell made me sit out of The Shining. I will have to listen to The Phantom Menace, by the way, but uh, Russell made me sit out of The Shining because I just do not appreciate that one. We, we have the same thing. No negative town, so it was just Chad, mm-hmm. your sideline. For some reason, this horror movie nut over here and sitting to my right doesn't like The Shining. But go see Dr. Sleep. That was good. It's not doing well. I'm very sad about that. Go see it. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to have to leave a little bit of the flubs in there now because you said I'm the I'm the real Grayson. Or sorry, go check oh. out the real Ricky. And wow. You're, you're yeah, doing sorry. That wrong. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to blame you guys for not having more different voices and stuff like that. You should have somebody over there who's got like this deep Barry White voice and the other guy should sound like Mickey Mouse and then I'd be able to just separate the world. It's like, oh, yeah. So are you Barry White and I'm Mickey Mouse? Is that what's happening? No, I'm definitely Mickey Mouse. You've, oh. you've got you've got that deep, smooth voice. Oh yes, yes, drives women crazy all the time. That's what they say. <laughs> um, so it's the climax of the show. Uh, it is time to give this movie a rating on a five star scale. Grayson, what would you rate this movie? Half star intervals. Yeah, I I do have to give this movie a a five out of five. I'm not going to knock it on anything. I was expecting it to be. I expected it to have cultural issues that 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 was going to be like the main thing. But I think that it it's so inspirational, funny, family friendly, and treats the subject matter with respect that it still holds up today. Um, that being said, even though I give it a, a five out of five. Um, I'm I'm guessing that the East Germany judge gives it like a three point five. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's a good good comment there, uh, Chad. What about you? Five star scale. What do you rate Cool Runnings? And Grayson's right. I I was very relieved to revisit this and be like, okay, it's not making jokes at the expense of the their skin tone. I but, agree. Um, yeah, I didn't do that. But for me, it's it's a three and a half. Uh, it's, Ooh. It's really fun. It's got a great heartwarming story, but I just don't really feel like it's not masterpiece cinema. It it's not a go-to for me, but it's not really trying to be this masterpiece either. It it's a great movie and it's a fun time every time I see it. So you're you're in alignment with Peter Griffin cuz uh, and there's an episode of Family Guy where they're driving in the car and they're playing like this like mystery game like to keep themselves occupied. Yeah. And Lois and Peter are so in tune with each other. All Peter says is, "Hmm, it's not that bad, but it's not that good." Cool and then and two seconds later, Lois goes, cool runnings. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> no, I'd still recommend watching it again. It's just, it's not going to be up there for me. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the middle ground between you guys. I'm going to give this movie a four stars. I expected to need to lower it when I went back to it as an adult. I, I was pleased to see, like I said, the warmth and the characters that actually held up as an adult. And the silly stuff is there for a kid. So whenever you make a movie that's on different levels, that's actually a pretty hard thing to do. Disney's pretty good at that. And even though I probably didn't have this pegged as a classic, and that's why I don't have it higher, it is still a good time. It's held up well. And the story of the Jamaican bobsled team gets brought up because of this. I think bobsledding is more interesting because of this. Oh, yeah. I even root for like the Jamaican track team more because of the like uh, Cool Runnings movie and the Jamaican team here. So 
I don't know. I just I, I, I myself find like if America's not competing and winning in something like that, I, Jamaica is one of those teams that I'm always kind of like, yeah, go for them. And I'm always sitting there and go, why do I like Jamaica so much? And I think it's cool runnings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. It's shaggy. They always have awesome uniforms, too, by the way. Yes. Like, yeah. in this movie, they did, too. Like, they came out looking sharp. Black, green, and yellow is a cool color combination anyways. It is. Um, so that always helps, too. So looking good makes me like your uh, country a lot more than uh, if it's just boring. Green and white. I'm not going to call anybody out. Let's go to uh, Chad. Do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? I'm excited. It's getting to be the season. But uh, let's do a different kind of Christmas-type movie. And these are dark, darker Christmases, so to speak. Oh, I'm excited for that. I love me some Gremlins, some Diehards. We got those in there? No? Oh, some, some in the vein of that. Not as right. ma- We're not going to go quite as mainstream. We're going to go a little more off the beaten track than that. But Ice Harvest from 2005 is option number one. A shady lawyer attempts a Christmas Eve crime, hoping to swindle the local mob out of some money. But his partner, a strip club owner, might have a different plan for the cash. Option two, The Ref from 1994. A cat burglar is forced into bickering, dysfunctional family hostage situation on Christmas Eve. Option three, In Bruges, 2008. Actually, sorry, In Bruges, 2008. Guilt-stricken after a job gone wrong, hitman Ray and his partner await orders from their ruthless boss in Bruges, Belgium, the last place in the world Ray wants to be. Fry has been trying to get me to see in Bruges for a long time, but I'm going to spite him again here. I'm going to go with Ice Harvest because that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounds like it would pair well with Cold Butt. <laughs> um, so it's, it's the only one with a winter name in it. It has ice. I have to go there. Cusack, Thornton. Sure, I'm in. Let's do it. Oh, cool. Yep. Uh, ice Harvest this will be next time. And uh, Grayson, thank you so much, man, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. You were a great guest. Absolutely. I had a great time. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Russell. And uh, yeah, you, uh, you have a lifelong fan as well. So uh, thank you for doing what you do. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We do want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings really help us grow the show, find other listeners and other viewers, and grow our community. Give us a like on Facebook. We love to interact with you. Tell us what you think about the movies each week. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. We're not the most active on that, but it's there. And uh, email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? Gotta get some Canadian bacon in here. There's a time to think and a time to act. And this, gentlemen, is no time to think.